Welcome to Decode, a podcast that delves into the complex world of K-12 computer science education, highlighting the significance of storytelling in comprehending educational data. Welcome to episode three of Decode. Yasmin, uh, Rob, great to see you. Thanks for joining me here. It's really cool to have you guys on the podcast. I'm uh, just really grateful that you guys uh, that you guys can be here, and you know the the podcast is kind of evolving a little bit, and it, and it it really started from this idea that we are providing computer science education. Uh, many states have mandates that basically say, look, we've got um, every school and every high school needs to provide this. Yet enrollment is is not matching um, the number of schools that are that are providing it. So we, uh, we looked at kind of, uh, the kids that had enrolled in it and looked at gender, looked at, uh, ethnic background and found that there was just really major disparities, but that's kind of how the, the podcast began. And now we're, we're kind of evolving and we're, we're going into other, other areas where, um, today we're going to talk about, um, skill-based hiring and pathways to jobs. So, um, very excited to uh, to uh, be here with you guys. And um, you know, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's great to start some new friendships as well. So, I'm just going to give uh, quick quick intros, and then we can kind of jump into it. But um, Yasmin, um, welcome, Yasmin Hernandez Mano, and. She is the president of NJ Alice, which is a new organization for New Jersey, which is pretty pretty exciting. Heading it up, just had your first gala, and also former executive county superintendent for Mercer County in New Jersey. So we're having a little bit of a focus on New Jersey. And um, Rob Zawicki, Dr. Rob Zawicki, is uh, currently with Renaissance Learning as a... Um, as a senior director and formerly a superintendent of Weehawken. So very excited to have the, uh, the, the two of you here. Um, so we're talking about pathways to jobs for multilingual learners. So that's kind of, uh, that's kind of exciting, but I would love to just um, kind of turn it over to you real quick, Yasmin. And I gave kind of a very, uh, very brief background, um, you know, a couple of, couple of jobs that you've had, but, would love to hear a little bit about NJ Alice uh, um, and kind of the work that you're doing there, just as a little bit of background for everybody. Sure. Well, thank you, Stanley, for having me here this morning um, and representing NJ Alice. So NJ Alice officially became an organization in New Jersey, November 2022. It was um, an organization that I had come across in the national level over 12, 13 years previously and knew that um, bringing it to New Jersey, we would be able to establish the platform for being able to address the populations of our multilingual learners in New Jersey, and particularly an emphasis on our Latino students and children of color. The organization um, has one year under its belt. And within that one year, I'm very proud to say that we um, achieved and surpassed our goals which were to um, acquire at least 100 members. We have 150 members currently. 
We were also uh, looking to establish partnerships with different organizations of which Dr. Zawicki's is one of them and it's our founding partners and proud to say we wanted 10, we are up to the 17 now. And um, we also held nine events in one year, one of which was our student scholarship fundraiser gala that um, Stanley had the privilege of being there with us. And also we had our inaugural conference held at Kane University, which was sold out. We also held a webinar, a lunch and learn at Kane University. And we had um, several events throughout the different regions that we represent in the North Central and the South. The importance of having NJ Alas in New Jersey is also to be an advocate for our multilingual learners, really be able to partner also with legislation to begin those conversations about what do we need in order to be equitable for this population and provide excellence across the board. So we're excited as we venture into our second year. And one of the main um, objectives we have to reach this second year is to establish that partnership with legislation in New Jersey. And also we are very interested in establishing our mentorship to be able to create the next level of leaders that are Latino and or multicultural. Just a quick reference of data. We have over 600 districts in the state of New Jersey, only 20 Latino, Latina superintendents, and only, I believe, 37, 38 African-Americans. So even combined, we make less than 1%. So we want to be the organization that will begin to develop the next level of those leaders in those representative categories. And so I'm very proud to represent the organization. Um, and, you know, we will be having another gala. We, we, we will be having our um, second conference as well. We're looking to add an additional uh, event, which is going to be our student scholarships, which we're actually going to present the students with scholarships. And wow. we are looking. That's yeah, exciting. We're, yeah. We're also looking to possibly partner with um, one of our other organizations in the state, the Black Superintendents Organization, maybe have and host an event together as well. So it'll be the first in the state. So, and of course, our regional events where we have networking and social events for the purpose of acquiring membership and also being able to get the word out about what our organization does and represents and where we want to take it to the next level. Thank you for the background on that. You know, it, being at the gala was really cool because it wasn't just everybody sit down, eat some food and, and, um, and be social. There were awards that were given there. And what, what was uh, striking to me was the type of mentorship within the community that was taking place. And one superintendent may be receiving an award, but it was also one or two other people that were actually presenting the award uh, to, to the audience. And it was just really cool to see the connections and how far back so many of these people go together and how uh, I, I just remember, uh, I forget who it, who it was, but talking about how he was a superintendent when, when the, the, the man who got the award came in uh, as, a, as a teacher and just transformed his career. And so anyway, it's really, really exciting to see that. Um, so Rob, just want to give you a chance to do a, a real quick intro. What, what, um, 
Let me just say, I, I'm so excited to, to be doing this with two of my favorite people. Um, and, you know, you guys are both awesome and you're both doing amazing things for kids and have done amazing things for kids. But I, you, Yasmin, you left out one thing. We also together put on the, uh, the AI in Education New Jersey Summit. And so, you know, I, I think it's important for people to know that like the two of you are at the forefront of that. And, uh, and uh, New Jersey Alas was also at the forefront of bringing that, uh, that conversation and pie top right there as well. So I want to make sure uh, we, uh, we, we do that. You know, we talk about that as well. Yeah, for, for sure. And that was such a, that, that was such a cool event as well, because it really, it really, op- there, there's so much about AI that's happening right now. And it really was a chance for everyone to see there are 10, 20 different apps that you can use for AI and applications that you can use besides that are super useful in your everyday life and in teaching that go beyond hey, you're just cheating on an essay. So it was really cool. It was really cool to see. And I had a fun time too. I, I was I was on the hot seat um, live trying to code a game that we just kind of came up with and using ChatGPT to, um, to, um, to submit lines of code or to prompt for, uh, for lines of code. And at first it failed and then we kept trying and it finally worked. So it was pretty cool. That was, a, that was really great. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was great. That was a good segue. But so I'm Rob. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I was a superintendent in New Jersey, uh, assistant superintendent before that teacher. Um, you know, throughout my uh, my superintendent career, um, MTSS was definitely at the forefront of, of everything that I did, um, particularly around we're talking about jobs, right, particularly around increasing graduation rates, which then turn into, um, you know, marketability and changing communities through having more and more kids graduate from high school. And that's been kind of the, the mantra there. An offshoot of that um, has been my involvement with computer science education. Um, so I view computer science education within the, the school-wide enrichment model, that every student has access to it, that it's not just an elite few um, students, um, and that it actually falls under MTSS and districts can use computer science to to fit into their school-wide enrichment model, into the the idea in MTSS that it's not just academic and behavioral RTI, but it's also um, pushing kids and and enriching them. And so, you know, something and you that, had a hand in in writing the state yeah, plan for yeah, that, that was fun. So something that's gotten lost in the sauce of the pandemic, right? When uh, uh, Dr. Lamont Repolette, who's now president of Kane, when he became commissioner in 2018, um, he he tapped a few of us and said, "Hey, we we need to." We need to get on computer science. And he said, you know, everyone knows reading, writing, and arithmetic. Well, the fourth thing needs to be computer science. That kind of got lost in the sauce of the pandemic. But, you know, pre-2020, you know, Governor Murphy established a grant program and he established a task force to put together an entire computer science plan at the DOE um, and then also to to actually have uh, standards. So I, I had the opportunity to be on that committee, uh, one of two superintendents to be part of that. Um, at the time, Assistant Commissioner Linda Eno kind of led led that effort. Um, the output of that was, um, first and foremost, the New Jersey Computer Science Standards, and then also kind of the, what we call the Computer Science Hub. And uh, Rutgers was a part of that and it established these professional development hubs throughout New Jersey to get teachers and principals and districts up to speed on how they can implement computer science um, and what does that look like? What what teacher certifications are applicable? Where does it fit into your schedule? So like I said, some of that got lost in in, in the pandemic, but that work was com- completely ongoing. 
Um, one of the things that I, I think that how I got involved in this that, that speaks to the theme of today and one of the things I'm most proud of when we think about equity work from my time as a superintendent, when I was superintendent of Weehawken, we basically put in place AP principles of computer science being available and essentially almost required for every sophomore. So people would be like, what about your ESL kids? Weehawken has a huge ESL population. Yeah. And in fact, kids who are multi-language learners have already learned a second language. So then learning the language of computer science, learning a second language is a superpower. Well, now here's a third one, right? So, okay. so that went well for special education students. So it's this equity issue that everyone needs computer science. And then now in my my role at Renaissance, everything we do at Renaissance as a software, as a service company that's committed to advancing learning for for you know all learners across the globe is all based in computer science. So you know if you need a living example of how computer science can be used to do good in the world, look at Renaissance Learning, right? So it's kind of you know you braided these things three things together. Um, so I'm super excited to be able to talk about all this with you guys, with two leaders who have uh, who have challenged me and pushed me to go deeper on computer science. Well, so we're we're talking about. Um pathways to jobs and skills. And so one of the things that I've found really interesting over the past, I want to say maybe the past two years, there seems to be this mindset shift that has taken place with lots of administrators and teachers where there is not a, there's a mindset shift where they feel that you don't necessarily have to go to college and that there are, there are lots and lots of opportunities for good, well-paying jobs right out of high school if we can train them. Because there was historically, there was some study that came out <clears throat> that said successful people have a college degree. Therefore, if you want to be successful, get a college degree. And it was the beginning of the, I think this is, maybe the seventies, but it was the beginning of the evisceration of our apprentice uh, apprenticeship programs. And um, now I feel like there's this new shift and it's really tied to computer science where, where, um, where teachers, administrators are really realizing, look, these are, these are real hands-on job skills that we're learning in the classroom that can translate to jobs right out of high school. Are, are you guys seeing that, uh, that mind sh- mindset shift as well? Yes, if um if I may, um in particularly our CTE programs. So our career education is really a great vehicle for our newcomer high school students that come in from different countries. And particularly we have a subset of students that are called our SLIFE multilingual learners. Those are students with limited interrupted or no formal education. And those students are at a huge disadvantage simply because they come with such significant gaps in their educational backgrounds or never have been to school. Providing them an opportunity for a technical education is a lot of hands-on and not necessarily having to go through the requirements for graduation to get into um, college track. And so although students obviously have to graduate high school, you simultaneously have them um, in a career and technical education track, which allows for them possibly junior and senior years to have internships with um, companies that they are interested in, in the, in the track that they have chosen. 
and then makes them marketable upon graduation for the workplace. And that's similar to what you're talking about that out right out of high school, students will then be afforded an opportunity to begin their careers. And not every student wants to go to college and not every student has a, a skill set that wants to be, you know, choosing a career that has to take that pathway. So the, the uh, career technical- And they don't want a massive amount of student debt either. Yeah, right. Um, this, the the uh, career technical education is really a wonderful vehicle for our multilingual learners. And um, I know that across the state, we have more of this population that I just mentioned um, that are coming through you know, immigration. And it really, behooves us as educators to really look at alternative pathways for all students. And this is a wonderful alternative pathway that is a win-win for students if it's afforded not just in our um, high schools, but also our countywide vocational schools. And being able to create an academy specifically for those multilingual students. Can you, can you um, go into the details of this a little bit? Because it's I, I was really interested in, in what you, you were telling me before about this. The, the vocational schools really are an amazing opportunity for students, but there's a, an intake process, right? And Yes. So when I was executive county superintendent in 2019, there was a study conducted by New Jersey TESOL NJBE, which is our New Jersey Organization for Bilingual and ESL um, uh, education. And the advocacy person um, presented the executive county superintendents with data on each one of their county vocational schools, and particularly a focus on enrollment of English language learners at that time, which now we call multilingual learners. And across the state, it was less than 1% of the students' representation at our vocational schools. And at the time, I was also working with Mercer County Vocational School um, to possibly address the large influx of students we had at the time that were these SLIFE students that I mentioned. And there were about 300 plus across just that one county. And so um, the superintendents at the time requested if there could be a countywide program to address these students, because what happens is they come in pockets in different districts, especially smaller districts, do not have resources, do not have the staff to be able to properly address their needs. So they end up dropping out of school, high school. This type of academy would allow an opportunity for students through an intake process that they would meet a requirement to be an immigrant student with interrupted or no formal education or limited education and get them in and, and begin a track of not only high school, but also technical education, a career. Ad. And this is the 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 academies that you're suggesting don't exist right now but the Correct. right and the, yeah. the vocational schools though the, the issue with the vocational school is you have to you have to apply to the school right um, to the program right. yes. so you have to know that this is a great opportunity your or your parent has to know you you have to so so there's a, there's a big information piece and if you're a multilingual learner you're maybe, you know, if you're the beginning stages of, of learning English, maybe you're not getting that information out. Um, and so you're saying the academies are kind of a solution, like an interim step to well, better prepare. Path, them for 
right? It's it's a it's a pathway, and it could be an alternative pathway under the umbrella of alternative education. The reason that's important is because there's a class size um, restriction, which allows for smaller uh, instruction for the teachers, and also allows for differentiation instructional practices, which are very important for this population of students. And then it also allows for students to have what we call an IPP, Individualized Program Plan, um, which is similar to an IEP uh, for students who are in the special education track. And it allows for goals and objectives to be created and really making sure that no child falls between the cracks, right? Because I, I just mentioned before that without a specialized intervention or program, these students will drop out because they just don't have the skill set to master the curriculum. And, and the curriculum is the same. We just provide accommodations and modifications to the curriculum. There's no water curriculum. And then if you allow them an exploratory time to see, these are some of the possible career technical education pathways that you can choose um, coming into a vocational track, like I said, a lot of our high schools have them that you don't have to be the county, you know, a vocational tech school, but um, just be beginning awareness with um, the importance of creating opportunities in the intake process for students. Is, is to there some legislative process that needs to take place in order to create these pathways or is this yeah i think it would fall so so the universal screening is is such an important piece of this for two reasons right so i think one the the regulations that exist around mtss and universal screening help to identify kids in middle school right and that's where we see the research on making sure more females go into computer science more multilingual students and more underrepresented students go into computer science classes and things like that so um, you know, grabbing them in sixth and seventh grade. So one, identifying the kids who, you know, have the propensity for higher math skills and things like that. But at the same time, um, I would also say through the universal screening process, when you have a group of kids who have already learned or in the process of learning a second language, that they are they are ripe to then take on computer science. The other thing, when we talk about connecting this directly to careers, and there are awesome programs, NJIT has a, a great program called Real World Connections that I, that I used um, when I was in Mount Olive and then again in, uh, in Weehawken. And then Weehawken has a, a, a girls who, I'm sorry, uh, uh, NJIT has a, a girls who code grant as well. Um, but is this immediacy of, of explaining to kids your high school selection of classes can lead to a really well-paying job right out of high school in computer science where you can start working, coding, and then they'll pay for you to go to college, right? So that so that's the the other thing to establish. And then the second thing is there's this kind of misnomer that everything in computer science happens in English. And it doesn't, right? Think about all the content that's on the web and on Instagram and in advertising where you need multi-language, you know, uh, abilities. So being able to code and handle web content and design in multiple languages is, is a really important skill. And so showing kids, you know, that those jobs exist, but, you know, to, to Yasmin's point and to the point that, that you made earlier, you know, Stan is there's a, there's an information gap with parents. There's an information gap with students. So we have to be very proactive in the outreach. And so, you know, one piece is universally screening kids. And then the other piece is just you know, being direct and going to your multilingual population saying, hey, you guys actually have an advantage. Here's a career path and you can get college paid for if you, if you follow through on it. You know, you, you were talking about 
it when you were in Weehawken, you had every sophomore was taking a taking a taking a course. One of the things that you had said to me before at uh, at some point when you were talking about that program was that you found that kids taking computer science that they overall had an improvement in all the other areas of their academics as well. I wish that we could get a study on that so that we could show it because, because right. It's, it's computational thinking and, it, and it's funny, you know, we, it, the, the state plans don't even mention the word coding generally. They, they use the word computational thinking, problem solving. And I, I, you know, when you can get kids thinking like that, um, how did how did you see that manifest in in Weehawken? So a, a couple ways, right? So look, let's, let's talk about the AP principles, right? Everyone's intimidated by um, advanced placement, right? But not all advanced placements are the same, right? So AP World History is really expansive. AP European History, Calc AB, Calc BC, but then there are other APs that are more accessible. Um, George Washington High School in Cedar Rapids. Uh, Iowa, where my wife is from, actually gave me this lesson. Like you can do AP human geography with, with all kids and they actually used, you know, AP means all people, right? So we, we took that mantra. Um, and, and when AP principles, computer science came out, we're like, this is doable for, for all kids. It's a mainly online curriculum that can be easily supplemented. So it's different than the regular AP computer science course. It's the principles course. So it's, it's a really good introduction, but what the associated research shows is when kids are exposed to college level curriculum, when they're exposed to APs, even if they don't get a four or five on the exam, even if they get a one or a two, it has this zone of proximal development, um, positive externality of making them more confident in their other subjects. And it also provides connections to things like math, um, and, and into literacy and into science because there is that project-based piece. So now they're kind of, they're kind of getting it. Um, it also connects kids to entrepreneurial classes and things like that. So it creates all these, all these light bulbs go, go on in these 15 year old minds, right? When, when you're exposing them to this, I think the other thing is, you know, and, you know, we'll do a little plug for Pi top here, but when kids get to connect computer science to robotics, right. And whether you're doing competitive robotics or you're just doing a maker space, whatever it may be, there's a need for that hands-on. And what I, I find is amazing for um, with high school kids, they're still kids. They still want to play and they still want to tinker, even though they're 15 years old. Right. And so when you could make, computer science that with that tangible tinkering, right? They, they get really, they get really into it. But um, overall, I would say, yeah, anecdotally, there was, there was a boost in everyone's academic achievement. Um, and it, you know, I don't know if there are any explicit computer science studies because so much of computer science has gotten lost in the, the sauce of, you know, learning loss, but overall APs do increase computer science, I mean, in, increase academic performance. So it's right. You're talking about the, um, the project-based learning, which I think is just so so critical. Um, it it allows kids to really connect the computer to the outside world. And it's funny. I I, I was co teaching a, a class in Manhattan in the spring of last year, and I got the introduction from the teacher. They said we're going to talk about coding and all the like. Everything sunk. Everybody's everybody's faces were were negative, and then robotics and then everyone was like yes i love robotics this is awesome because it's actually connecting to the outside world 
but there's still this this so so to kind of come back to multilingual learners there's still this uh disparity where a, a lot of a lot of the reason that kids aren't enrolling in this is because they have a predisposition and an attitude that well this isn't for me I don't like this. It's not fun. It's for, the, for what, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, y- Yasmin, what, what do you think? You know, it's, it's like we're talking about the intake and serving it all up. But at the end of the day, the kids got to be excited about it. And I think robotics is a big piece of that. But what, what, what are the kind of, I don't know, what, what are you, what are you seeing in terms of disposition of, of kids? Like, what's the reason they're saying? No, I'm not gonna not gonna take this. And what are the what's the solution? What can we do to get them excited beyond uh, project based learning? Oh, I think um, going back to what you mentioned about um, informational, you know, for the students and for the parents, I think really exposure to these students to um, inform them that um, they they come with a asset base skill set, not a deficit base, which unfortunately for many years, that has been the focus. Our new state regulations even have changed the wording and made it, it, it this is, it's an asset to be bilingual, right? Trilingual, multilingual. And so I think building upon what they do know as opposed to focusing in on what they don't know. And then from there, provide the opportunities and the possibilities to students and have you know sessions where they do a hands-on have you know have them have them have them visit those types of courses and really expose them to the possibilities of what they can do as opposed to not focusing in on what they can't because they might have a language barrier but doesn't mean you're you're not gifted in a certain area you don't have the skill set just it's a language is totally different than what you what you actually bring from your country where you came from and so a lot of times it's being viewed again as you know, deficits and as opposed to assets. So I, so I think changing the mind shift and focusing in on that. And then you expose students and parents in the community to these are opportunities for all students. We don't, we don't you know, segregate and, and we don't just, you know, say it's good for this particular population. Historically, maybe we've had this particular population represented, but now we're opening the opportunities for all learners to have the experience, and I, that's why when we go back to any type of career pathway that we want students to gravitate to or to be exposed to, it's really providing opportunities for them to understand, to live it, to experience it. This is what this particular pathway will yield if you choose this, you know, upon graduation, right? And so very important to create alternative pathways within the structure of high school, middle school, Rob talked about, I think it's, it's important to begin as early as middle school, even in uh, elementary, you have a careers day and you expose students to, you know, individuals which just within their own community. These are different career pathways that they've chosen and all students have the opportunity to be a part, not just a certain number of students or, you know, we we want to have inclusivity and again, focus in on that's all equitable access to all students that which will hopefully 
yield our excellence among all students as well. And so I, I think that's one area where we have to really work on. If you look at, you know, different programs within our school structures, we have over-representation, over let's say, of multilingual students, but then under-representation in, in other areas. And the AP that, you know, Rob talked about is one example where we have under-representation of multilingual students and other multicultural students as well. And so it's, it's revisiting and going back to project-based learning might be the assessment to provide for these students, you know, where they can really demonstrate to you what they do know, as opposed to you assessing what they don't know. And it's going back to that, you know, and um, I don't know if you have had an opportunity to listen to our, um, our, our Secretary of Education, um, Dr. Cardona, that mentioned that, you know, being bilingual is a superpower. Being multilingual is a superpower. And um, yeah, I find that so funny because to, to me, I've always thought being able to speak multiple languages was just cool and a, and, and a great asset. But I, I guess I, I think there, there really is a shift in mindset that, that does need to take place that he's, that he's really addressed because you were talking yeah. about asset versus liability or, or problem is when we think about multilingual learners, often it's, oh, there's a problem because they don't yet know English yeah. well enough. And, and you're saying, and he's saying, start with the, start with the strength and then expand from there. And that's a real disposition issue with teachers, right? Like I, I always say like these kids don't have anything cognitively wrong with them. They're just learning to speak this language, right? You know what I mean? Like, like, and so th this, this is about guidance counselors and teachers and superintendents and principals changing that disposition. But let me give you two quick examples. You're talking about project-based learning, uh, Yasmin and Stanley. So, you know, one of the things that I, I think is most effective in promoting computer science and college connections and career connections are hackathons. So hackathons, you know, we did them virtually when I was in Mount Olive during the pandemic, but you can do them in person. They're kind of these 24 hour um, computer science. They, they give you a, uh, you have to design an app that does this, right? So uh, one of the ones we did was it was, it had to do recognition of whether when people enter stores, this is during the mask mandate era, whether they had their mask on or off, right? So the kids had to design all this. So I got an awesome idea from a district in Northern California in incorporating multilingual learners was that you have to have someone on your team who is bilingual and everything you present has to be in English and then pick another language and your app has to function in English and another language. So immediately, right, these kids are like, well, now we need to include, if we're all English speakers, we now need to include a multilingual student. Otherwise, we can't get full points. Second of all, it's showing you that right now, if you go to, you know, a private equity firm and you try and pitch an app or anything and you're like, oh, it only comes in English. They're going to be like, okay, there's the door, right? So the business model that supports computer science is multilingual. And that's what people need to understand. And so I think that's a great way to tie this together in a great way that costs almost no money to establish the, the project-based learning aspect of computer science directly incorporating um, uh, uh, multilingual language learners and tying it together. What I love about that is that you, you took a real-life situation and you used it to create inclusivity, right? It's, the, the real-life situation is yeah, if I'm going to produce this app, it's got to be in multi, multiple languages. So 
let's pull this person in who speaks this other language and really leverage their ability. I think that's really, that's really cool. And, and the way you put that, uh, put the, put the kids together that way, I think makes it a positive thing rather than uh, a negative, a negative thing. So this is, it's a kind of a cool mindset shift. And it, it unlocks potential, right? That, that our economy needs, right? So let's, let's, let's pretend, you know, that we, uh, we're, <laughs> we're just going to look at the dollars and cents of this when it comes to jobs, right? We, like we as a country are importing workers, coders from other countries who are multilingual. When we have this workforce sitting in our schools, right? The, the future workforce is there. We just have to expose it. So I think there's a lot of education that needs to go on for teachers, for college counselors, for, for guidance counselors about exposing kids to these paths, right? And that it's not take computer science, you can go to college. How's about take computer science, you can get a really cool job, they'll pay for college, they'll pay for your MBA, and you'll get to travel all over the world, right? That's in some ways a lot sexier than you'll get to go to college and do computer science for four years, right? No seventh graders like, yay, let me do that. But when you, you, you know, you do that now on the other side of industry, I think they need to do greater outreach with internships down to middle school for multilingual learners. That needs to be something that could be legislated and supported through grants in Tintint, New Jersey State Legislature. <laughs> I, th I think that um, the internships are really exciting because for, for a long time, our job market ch shifted a bit and we 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 lost those apprenticeship programs. We lost those um, those internships, and internships now seem like some they they've been something that happens in college. But there's no reason we shouldn't be doing internships um, all through high school. One of the things we're we've been thinking about doing is bringing on um, additional types of industrial machinery into our curriculum. For example, CNC machines. So. I mean, a CNC machine, if you don't know what that is, it's um, basically a, a spinning bit that basically you program it to, to move around a piece of metal and it carves a piece of metal into a particular shape. And doing that actually requires lines and lines and lines of code and actually thinking about how to do it the most efficient way and then translating that into the language of, of code. So I think that if we can get our businesses to shift their mindset to the, that they can actually start reaching into sophomore year, junior year, senior year to start training the kids um, during their high school career, there's a really good pathway for them. And it's a win-win. You know, legislation is such an interesting thing, right? Because we've mandated in New Jersey that every high school has to offer computer science. But the reality is, by the time you get to high school and if like sophomore year, junior year is the first time you're exposed <clears throat> to computer science, the chances of taking the AP computer science exam or, you know, or, or that class is super, super slim. So what do we do with legislation where we can kind of, or, or is it just us getting together and saying, Hey, we should offer this, across the board in middle school and in, uh, and in elementary school. Well, well the plan operationalized that we have these K through 12 standards, right? But 
so often it's and and the only real mechanism speaking of New Jersey is is CUSAC to enforce this. And you know, Yasmin is very very familiar with the CUSAC process to make sure districts are upholding the standards. But let's be honest, right? With everything that's coming out of the pandemic, and we're worried about independent reading levels and kids failing and you know, um, disproportionality rates of special education referrals and all these other things, computer science keeps getting kind of pushed to the bottom, right? But meanwhile, business and industry are saying it's the most important thing. National security is saying it's, you know, Stanley, you know this from from your background, it's the most important thing. Knowing a, knowing how to speak a language and being able to code in the medical field, it's, it's, it's so important. Theory. You know, it's, yeah, all of it's there. So I think it, it just needs to be where, and listen, and Governor Murphy did a great job with this before the pandemic. It needs to be a school board conversation. It needs to be a county conversation with your legislators. It needs to be the governor and everyone saying, listen, computer science really matters. We need to focus on this and it needs to be important. And it can't just be something that we kind of push to the side that happens in the media center. We do it, you know, we do, we do hour of code in December. We did computer science. No, that that's, that's not it. Um, And, you know, we do have a coming crisis our graduation rates are going to be at risk again because we have so many kids who are in ninth grade now who were sixth graders when the pandemic started. And so one of the ways to keep kids in school is to connect it to a love of learning or a career goal. You know, the Harvard Edry Design Group has, you know, has their whole personalized success plan system for kids where kids metacognitively set academic goals. They set wellness goals. They set a love of learning goal and they set a, um, a career goal. The research on that shows, let's start doing that in third and fourth grade. Let's not wait to freshman and sophomore year. And that is where you can interject computer science and you can bring the computer science conversation to your multi-language learners. Well, it would be wonderful if we could bring some legislators onto the podcast. What do you guys think? Oh, I think that'd be great. Be essential to do that. Yeah. Well, so the, the way I like to wrap up, and this just kind of went by super fast, I guess, but... The way I like to wrap up is is to kind of give each of you a chance to to give us some hope, you know, some something positive about how something positive about how things are going, or a solution, or something aspirational for us. So I'm gonna throw that at you. It's it's a, a wide open kind of question, but um, uh, Yasmin. Do you want to, yes. you're, you're just in, in uh, involved in so many things right now. Yeah. So um, I think, again, I'm going to go back to the importance of having established NJ ALAS because we now have an organization. And for those who don't know, NJ ALAS stands for New Jersey Association of Latino Administrators and Superintendents. And we now have a state organization that is supported by a national organization that's been around for over 20 years to really begin that work here in New Jersey that was long overdue as we are one of the most diverse states in the, in the union, right? And really being able to bring forth, you, you mentioned legislation, you know, um, and using using the, the organization as that platform to bring forth some of these issues so that we can transform the landscape for our students and for opportunities for all students to, you know, we focus in on equity and excellence in the organization. And we need to um, make sure that we are following through with that and, you know, working alongside organizations such as yours 
and um and also Rob's you know that is in so many schools he has the background we all have you know 30 plus years background in education in all different levels I didn't want to get into all of that but I just you know we have so much you know that we know needs to be done and why not use our um platforms and the organizations that we currently represent to to begin those conversations and we go back to legislation we go back to uh, our our you know practitioners who really make it happen in the classrooms our administrators who are there making sure that it's you know implemented as well and it's working you know with state federal and national levels you know to make sure that the information gets out to them as well so that we can begin those conversations to then be able to make the changes that we spoke about this morning that need to be made and with a focus in on computer science you know career technical education just really alternative pathways for students and to yield success for them sorry i, w- I was just going to say thank you for all that you're doing right now i mean it's a, it's an amazing organization and the progress that you've made in in one short year is just really phenomenal and so it's exciting to see that and uh, and everything that uh, that's to come and and it was just you know it it really uh, hit home for me what a great organization it is and how tight uh, the the community is there so good for you thank you so All much volunteers by the way that's that's hard time you know <laughs> um volunteer <laughs> job that i have I'll put a plug in for Corzio Compliance Services. I am the director of education compliance there at Corzio. And, you know, we're working with different school districts across the, the, the state um, and outside the state who need services for our multilingual students. And so, um, you know, we merge NJ Alas where we can, you know, uh, with, with that as well. But, um, yeah, so we want to um, work the organization and make it impactful in the state for the purposes of why it was established. And, you know, it is a short, it's only been one year and we have done a lot, but I think there's so much more to do. At the gala, it unfolds our year two goals that we were looking to um, achieve. And one of them is creating more partnerships and, and collaboration um, to be able to advocate for our students at a legislation level as well. So building on that, and first of all, I'm so, so proud of Renaissance that we were a founding sponsor of NJ Alas, and I was able to speak at that sold out conference and it was awesome. But here's an idea before I go on my rant about federal grant money. Um, Why not next year when we do the conference, let's do an NJ Alas hackathon sponsored by PyTop, right? Like let's, let's connect this and let's get multi-language learners doing a hackathon with NJ Alas to show off to all these superintendents and legislators throughout the state that, you know, biliteracy is a superpower and it connects to computer science. What do you think about that? Let's, let's, we have a year to plan it. Let's do it. And here's my rant, right? To, to your point, uh, Stanley said, close. So, so many superintendents, so many districts are like, I don't have the money to do computer science. I don't have that. You do, right? So first of all, title three money for your multi-language learners is not just for interventions. So you can take some of your Title III money and use it to support multilingual learners getting involved with computer science. The other thing, Title IV is there for college and career readiness. So you can you you get money from the feds outside of your general fund that you can put towards computer science that helps meet the needs of all learners. Frame it under your school-wide enrichment model, whatever you need to do, right? But there is money there. And then on top of it, there's all of these these, these these private industry organizations who would 
love to support this. So that's where your Ed Foundation coming into it, you know, having your board members reach out to local companies that can help support this. But there is money there and we need this and private industry will support it if you if you push forward. I'm with you. Thank you guys so much. This is this has been great. I really uh, am grateful to have both of you uh, as friends and on this podcast to talk about these issues. I hope this is uh, good information and useful for for people. I am totally down with doing a hackathon. I think it's be, it'll be fun. We can have a challenge on making uh, who can make the coolest game using right. ChatGPT and plug and play with some buttons and lights and sensors. So. It'll be fun. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time thank today. You. Thank you, Yasmin. Thank you, Stanley. Thank you, Rob and Stanley. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you found this conversation valuable, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next time on Decode.